0: chapter six part one of backwater by dorothy richardson this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter six part one piecemeal statements in her letter home brought miriam now and again a momentary sense of developing activities but she did not recognize the completeness of the change in her position at the school until halfway through her second term she found herself talking to the new pupil teacher she had heard apathetically of her existence during supper table conversations with the misses perne at the beginning of the term she was an irish girl of sixteen one of a large family living on the outskirts of dublin and would be a boarder attending the first class for english and earning pocket-money by helping with the lower school as the weeks went on and miriam grew accustomed to hearing her name julia doyle she began to associate it with an idea of charm that brought her a sinking of heart she knew her position in the esteem of the perns was secure but this new young teacher would work strange miracles with the girls she would do it quite easily and unconsciously the girls would be easy with her and would laugh and one would have to hear them however when at last her arrival was near and the three ladies discussed the difficulty of having her met miriam plied them until they reluctantly gave her permission to go taking a workman's train that would bring her to euston station at seven o'clock in the morning at the end of an hour spent pacing the half-dark platform exhausted with cold and excitement and the monotonously reiterated effort to imagine the arrival of one of mrs hungerford's heroines from a train journey miriam whose costume had been described in a letter to the girl's mother was startled wandering amidst the vociferous passengers at the luggage end of the newly arrived train by a liquid colorless intimate voice at her elbow i think i'll be right to say how d'ye do, do she turned and saw a slender girl in a middle-aged toque and an ill-cut old-fashioned coat and skirt what were they to say to each other two dowdy struggling women both in the same box she must get her to banbury park as quickly as possible it was dreadful that they should be seen together there on the platform in their ragbag clothes at any rate they must not talk oh i'm very pleased to see you i'm glad you've come i suppose the train must have been late she said eagerly ah we'll be late i dare venture haven't an idea of the hour oh yes said miriam emphatically i'm sure the train's late where'll we find a corps what we'll need a corps for the luggage oh yes a cab we must get a cab we'd better find a porter ah i've a man here seeking out my things inside the cab julia's face shone chalky white and miriam found that her eyes looked like weymouth bay the sea in general on days when clouds keep sweeping across the sun When she laughed, she had dimples, and the thick white rims of her eyelids looked like piping cord round her eyes. But she was not pretty. There were lines in her cheeks as well as dimples, and there was something apologetic in her little gusty laugh. She laughed a good deal as they started off, saying things, little quiet remarks that Miriam could not understand, and that did not seem to be answers to her efforts to make conversation. Perhaps she was not going the right way to make her talk, Perhaps she had not said any of the things she thought she had said. She cleared her throat and looked out of the window, thinking over a possible opening. I've never been so glad over anything in my life as hearing you're one of the teachers, said Julia presently. The Perns call me by my name, so I suppose you will too, as you're a teacher, said Miriam headlong. That's awfully sweet of you, replied Julia, laughing and blushing a clear deep rose. It makes anyone feel at home. I'll be looking out till I hear it. It's miriam laughed isn't it funny that people don't like saying their own names i wish you'd tell me about your teaching i'm sure you're awfully clever miriam gave her a list of the subjects she taught in the lower school you know all there is to know oh well and then i take the top girls now for german and the second class for french reading and two arithmetic classes in the upper school and a shell of two very stupid girls to help with their college of preceptors you're frightening me miriam looked out of the cab window hardly hearing julia's next remark the drab brick walls of king's cross station were coming towards them when they had got themselves and julia's luggage out of the cab and into the train for banbury park she was still pondering uneasily over her own dislike of appearing as a successful teacher this stranger saw her only as a teacher that was what she had become if she was really a teacher now just that in life it meant that she must decide at once whether she really meant to teach always every one now would think of her as a teacher as someone who was never going to do anything else when really she had not even begun to think about doing any of the things that professional teachers had to do she was not qualifying herself for examinations in her spare time as her predecessor had done supposing she did this girl julia would certainly expect her to be doing so what then if she were to work very hard and also develop her character when she was fifty she would be like miss Cramp, good enough to be a special visiting teacher giving just a few lectures a week at several schools talking in a sad voice feeling ill and sad having a yellow face and faded hair and not enough saved to live on when she was too old to work prospect said the noisy train that was it there was no prospect in it there was no prospect in teaching what was there a prospect in going along in this north london train with this girl who took her at her word she turned eagerly to julia who was saying something and laughing unconcernedly as she said it if you'd like to know what it is i've come over for i'll tell you at once i've come over to learn chopin's funeral march it's all i think about when i can play chopin's funeral march i'll not call the queen me aunt three well my dear child i'm sure i wish i could arrange your life for you said miss haddie that evening she was sitting on the edge of the schoolroom table having come in at ten o'clock to turn out the gas and found miriam sitting unoccupied the room was cold and close with the long burning gas and miriam had turned upon her with a scornful half-laugh when she had playfully exclaimed at finding her there so late miss haddie was obviously still a little excited she had presided at schoolroom tea and julia had filled the room with dublin the bay the streets the Jarvies, and their outside cars her journey the channel boat her surprise at england hey what's the matter miriam my dear for some time miriam had parried her questions fiercely demanding that her mood should be understood without a clue presently they had slid into an irritated discussion of the respective values of sleep before and sleep after midnight in the midst of which miriam had said savagely i wish to goodness i knew what to do about things miss haddie's kindly desire gave her no relief what did she mean but the hopelessness of imagining that anybody could do anything about anything nobody could ever understand what anyone else really wanted only some people were fortunate miss Hattie was one of the fortunate ones she had her share in the school and many wealthy relatives and the very best kind of good clothes and a good deal of strange old-fashioned jewellery and whatever happened there was money and her sisters and relatives to look after her without feeling it a burden because of the expense and there she sat at the table looking at what she thought she could see in another person's life if only one knew in the least what one ought to do said miriam crossly miss Hattie began speaking in a halting murmur and miriam rushed on with flaming face i suppose i shall have to go on teaching all my life and i can't think how on earth i'm going to do it i don't see how i can work in the evenings my eyes get so tired if you don't get certificates there is no prospect and even if i did my throat is simply agonies at the end of each morning hey my dear child i'm sorry to hear that why have you taken to that is it something fresh oh no my throat always used to get tired mother's is the same we can't either of us talk for ten minutes without feeling it it's perfectly awful but my dear, oughtn't ye to see someone, have some advice? I mean ye ought to see a doctor. Miriam glanced at Miss Haddy's concerned face and glanced away with a flash of hatred. Oh no. I suppose I shall manage. You think you're wise letting it go on? Miriam made no reply. Well now, my dear, said Miss Hattie, getting down off the table, I think it's time you went to bed. Hm said Miriam impatiently. I suppose it is. Miss Hattie sat down again i wish i could help you my dear she said gently oh no one can do that said miriam in a hard voice oh yes murmured miss hattie cheerfully there's one who can oh yes said miriam tugging a thread out of the fraying edge of the table cover but it's practically impossible to discover what on earth they mean you to do no my dear she said in an angry guttural you're always led miriam tugged at the thread and bit her lips why do you suppose you'll go on teaching all your life perhaps you'll marry oh no you can't tell oh i never shall in any case now have you quarrelled with him oh well him said miriam roundly digging a pencil point between the grainings of the table cover it's they i think goodness knows i don't know it's so perfectly extraordinary you're a very funny young lady well i shan't marry now anyhow have you refused somebody oh well there was someone who went away went to america who was coming back to see me when he came back yes my dear well you see he's handed in his cheques ah my dear i don't understand said miss hattie thwarted and frowning ah said miriam jabbing the table kick the bucket my dear child you use such strange language i can't follow you oh well you see he went to america it was in new york i heard about it in january he caught that funny illness you know influenza and died hey my poor dear child i'm very sorry for you you do seem to have troubles ah well yes and then the queer thing is that he was really only the friend of my real friend and it was my real friend who told me about it and gave me a message he sent me and didn't like it of course naturally well really miriam said miss hattie blushing with a little laugh half choked by a cough oh yes then of course one meets people at dances it's appalling i wish i understood you my dear oh well it doesn't make any difference now i shall hardly ever meet anybody now miss hattie pondered over the table with features that worked slightly as she made little murmuring sounds eh no you needn't think that you shouldn't think that things happen sometimes just when you least expect it not to me oh things will happen to you never fear now my dear child trot along with ye off to bed miriam braced herself against miss Hattie's gentle shaking of her shoulders and the quiet kiss on her forehead that followed it Four, the strengthening of her intimacy with miss Hattie was the first of the many changes brought to miriam by julia doyle at the beginning of the spring term her two roommates were transferred to julia's care the two back rooms became a little hive of girls over which julia seemed to preside she handled them all easily there was rollicking and laughter in the back bedrooms but never any sign that the girls were going too far and their escapades were not allowed to reach across the landing her large front room was miriam realized as the term went on being secretly and fiercely guarded by julia the fabric of the days too had changed all day during the midday constitutional when she often found julia at her side walking in her curious springy lounging way and took the walk in a comforting silence resting her weary throat during the evenings of study and the unemployed intervals of the long sundays julia seemed to come between her and the girls she mastered them all with her speech and laughter miriam felt that when they were all together she was always in some hidden way on the alert she never jested with miriam but when they were alone and rarely then usually she addressed her in a low tone and as if half beside herself with some overpowering emotion it was owing too to julia's presence in the school that an unexpected freedom came to miriam every day during the hour between afternoon school and tea-time persuaded by the rapid increase towards the end of the winter term of the half-feverish exhaustion visiting her at the end of each day she had confided in her mother who had wept at this suggestion of an attack on her health and called in the family doctor more air he said testily air and movement miriam repeated this to miss perne who at once arranged that she should be free if she chose to go out every afternoon between school and tea-time at first she went into the park every day it was almost empty during the week at that hour the cricket green was sparsely decked with children and their maids a few strollers were left along the poplar avenue and round the asphalt circled lake but away on the further slopes usually avoided in the midday walks because the girls found them oppressive miriam discovered the solitary spring air day by day she went as if by appointment to meet it it was the same wandering eloquent air she had known from the beginning of things whilst she walked along the little gravel pathways winding about over the clear green slopes in the flood of afternoon light it stayed with her the day she had just passed through was touched by it it added a warm promise to the hours that lay ahead tea-time the evening's reading the possible visit of miss hattie the quiet of her solitary room the coming of sleep one day she left the pathways and strayed amongst pools of shadow lying under the great trees as she approached the giant trunks and the detail of their shape and colour grew clearer her breathing quickened she felt her prim bearing about her like a cloak the reality she had found was leaving her again looking up uneasily into the forest of leaves above her head she found them strange she walked quickly back into the sunlight gazing reproachfully at the trees there they were as she had always known them but between them and herself was her governess veil close drawn holding them sternly away from her the warm comforting communicative air was round her but she could not recover its secret she looked fearfully about her to get away somewhere by herself every day would not be enough if that was all she could have there would come a time when there would be nothing anywhere for a day or two she came out and walked feverishly about in other parts of the park resentfully questioning the empty vistas one afternoon far away but coming towards her as if in answer to her question was the figure of a man walking quickly for a moment her heart cried out to him if he would come straight on and understanding would walk into her life and she could face things knowing that he was there the light would come back and would stay until the end and there would be other lives on and on she stood transfixed trembling he grew more and more distinct and she saw a handbag and the outline of a bowler hat a north london clerk hurrying home to tea with bent head she turned away and dragged her shamed heavy limbs rapidly towards home 5. early in may came a day of steady rain enveloped in a rain cloak and sheltered under her lowered umbrella she ventured down the hill towards the shops near the railway arch the overshadowed street began to be crowded with jostling figures people were pouring from the city trams at the terminus and coming out of the station entrance in a steady stream hard intent faces clashing umbrellas the harsh snarling monotone of the north london voice gave her the feeling of being an intruder everything seemed to wonder what she was doing down there instead of being at home in the schoolroom a sudden angry eye above a coarse loudly talking mouth all but made her turn to go with instead of against the tide but she pushed blindly on and through and presently found herself in a quiet side street just off the station road looking into a shop window one pound super cream laid boudoir note with envelopes one shilling her eyes moved about the window from packet to packet set askew and shining with freshness if she had not brought so much note paper from home she could have bought some perhaps she could buy a packet as a christmas present for eve and have it in her top drawer all the time but there was plenty of paper at home she half turned to go and turning back fastened herself more closely against the window meaninglessly reading the inscription on each packet standing back at last she still lingered a little blue-painted tin plate sticking out from the side of the window announced in white letters carter patterson miriam dimly wondered at the connection underneath it hung a cardboard printed in ink circulating library two pence weekly this was still more mysterious she timidly approached the door and met the large pleasant eye of a man standing back in the doorway is there a library here she said with beating heart she stood so long reading and re-reading half-familiar titles cometh up as a flower not like other girls the air of redcliffe books that she and harriet had read and books that she felt were of a similar type the tea was already on the schoolroom table when she reached wordsworth house with an unknown volume by mrs hungerford under her arm hiding it upstairs she came down to tea and sat recovering her composure over her paper-covered Saint mars a relic of the senior oxford examination now grown suddenly rich and amazing today it could not hold her the madcap was upstairs and beyond it an unlimited supply of twopenny volumes and wida red-bound volumes of wida on the bottom shelf had sent her eyes quickly back to the safety of the upper rows through the whole of tea-time she was quietly aware of a discussion going on at the back of her mind as to who it was who had told her that ouida's books were bad evil books she remembered her father's voice saying that ouida was an extremely able woman quite a politician then of course her books were all right for grown-up people it must have been someone at a dance who had made her curious about them someone she had forgotten in any case whatever they were there was no one now to prevent her reading them if she chose she would read them if she chose write to eve about it first no certainly not eve might say better not my dear you will regret it if you do you won't be the same eve was different she must not be led by eve in any case she must leave off being led by eve or anybody the figures sitting round the table bent over their books quietly disinclined for conversation or mischief Under the shrewd eye of Miss Hattie, suddenly looked exciting and mysterious, but perhaps the man in the shop would be shocked. It would be impossible to ask for them unless she could pretend she did not know anything about them. End of chapter six, section five, recording by expatriate in Bangor, Maine.